Good evening. Thank you. Not quite sure what to do since we're in a business meeting and I'm speaking. It's kind of a, there will be no votions, no votes. Whatever I say is going. Um, so. <laughs> Anyway, so, okay. Uh, so we're going to continue in this uh, series on Israel, the state of Israel. Um, today will be, uh, I guess, would say the conclusion of kind of the, um, at least the biblical history portion of it. And so we'll go through kind of where we've been, what we're going to do today. And then um, actually next uh, week I won't be speaking. Uh, we have a mission, Micah Tuttle, right? Micah Tuttle will be coming through, and so he's uh, one of our missionaries, so he'll be speaking, and then I'll pick up the next week. So, uh, in, in terms of where we've been, right, so remember, here's the outline. So the first week, we talked about creation and covenants. Uh, God being the creator has the right to do whatever, however, and in, in what way, however he pleases. Uh, and then last week, we talked about this question, why did God choose Israel? We talked really about the fact that maybe that's not the best question. God chose Abraham, and then he called out a nation from him, uh, actually raised up the nation. Uh, and then we talked about, uh, the focus last week was on Israel's mistakes, basically, uh, what they did that was in counter to the covenants to which they had agreed. Uh, and so what we're going to do today is talk about the persecution of Israel that has uh, resulted. Actually, I have this. Oh, yeah. Very nice, huh? Um, so we got the persecution, and then we'll talk about, look at Jewish population over time. Uh, today is, um, so the first week was really what I would say is biblical foundation. The second week was more biblical history. So we were all over the place in Scripture. Uh, today we're going to pick up there. We'll be in Scripture a little bit, but then it's more so what I would say is cultural history. Uh, so looking at what has actually happened to the nation, the people of Israel over time. Uh, and then, like I said, not, next week I'm not speaking, but then we'll come back. And this is probably really what everybody wants to know. This is the history of Israel, how we got to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that's happening today. Uh, and that's actually going to take us two weeks. And so we'll walk through that. And then we'll talk about Islam and Israel, kind of the, the conflict there, uh, and then future Israel and, and so on. So that's where we are uh, and where we're headed. So today is all about what I would call persecutions and scatterings. And so go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy 28. Uh, this is actually, we looked at this last week. Um, so Deuteronomy 28 uh, promises, let's just go there, okay. So if you look at Deuteronomy 28, and we look, talked, I said, okay, if you have a study Bible, what's the title say? And mine says at the beginning of Deuteronomy 28, blessings for obedience, right? So the whole first 14 verses there are what happens if you do things right, and if Israel agrees to the covenant, or uh, lives by the covenants to which they have agreed. Then you get to verse 15, which says, but, right? So if, right, but it shall come to pass if you do not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And then you look, verse 16, 17, 18, 19, right? You turn the pages. I mean, I'm two pages into my Bible or still looking at all the curses, right? And, you know, we get down to verse 68. So you have like 50 verses all on what's going to go wrong if you, don't, if you don't abide by the covenant. And the verse that's particularly relevant to us today is verse 64. Now notice this, so the Lord promised them, if you do not abide by the covenant, he says, and the Lord will scatter you among all people from the one end of the earth even unto the other, and there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And so basically it promises scatterings uh, as a result of a failure to live by the covenants to which they agreed. Now, it's not necessarily... Um, uh, go to Matthew chapter 27. This is kind of more... Um, this is not necessarily a failure to abide by the Abrahamic covenant or the Mosaic covenant. Um, 
But as I was going through this, I did come across some um, commentary that suggested in Matthew 27, let's just go there, Matthew 27, verse 24, this is where Christ is standing before Pilate, and notice what Pilate says. Uh, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. And then notice verse 25. Then answered all the people, this being the Pharisees, the Jews, they answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. So this isn't, I guess we could make an argument that this is uh, the Jewish people failing to live by the new covenant, but it wasn't necessarily a condition to which they had agreed. But I think this action is really consistent with how they had gotten to this point in the first place. Um, and what I, this is kind of a side note, but go to Acts chapter um, 5 and look at verse 28. I find this really fascinating. Um, so if you think about it, the Jews had just said, hey, his blood be upon us. We, will, we stand by our decision. And then Paul comes along, <laughs> uh, Peter here, um, Look at verse, uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 28, saying, this is the, the Jews again, saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, notice this, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? <laughs> I mean, they just said, his blood be upon us, and now they're, they, don't want, they don't want that, right? And so it's just this whole uh, back and forth, back and forth. Um, let me give you a couple other things of context before we get to the actual scatterings and the persecutions here. So, if you think about the, like the, the ultimate state of the nation of Israel, it occurred under David, right? Jewish, they always want David to return. They want King David. They want the Messiah. Um, and then under Solomon, uh, David turns the, the kingdom over to Solomon. He does, a, obviously, the wisest man who ever lives. He does a good job. Uh, and the nation just kind of hits its, its peak. Solomon dies. Uh, his son Rehoboam takes over. And if you remember biblical history, what happens then? Uh, he imposes heavy taxes, a rebellion, not a rebellion, but Jeroboam comes in and says, hey, you need to reduce the taxes. Rehoboam talks to his advisors. He gets bad advice. He says, not only am I going to keep them, I'm going to make them worse. And so the nation splits. And so Jeroboam takes 10 tribes and forms the northern kingdom. Two tribes, including uh, David's line of Judah, uh, remains in the southern kingdom. Okay, so that's, and that happens about 925 B.C. The second piece I want you to kind of just remember, again, this is all stuff you would have heard over the years, so I'm just reminding you of these things. Uh, so Daniel, right, he gets, uh, and we'll talk about the Babylonian captivity on the next slide. So Daniel and others are taken away to Babylon. Uh, Daniel and his friends become key advisors. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, the king. Uh, Dan, this is the one where he's, you know, he can't remember it, but Daniel says, here, here, here's the dream, he interprets it. Uh, and this dream reveals the progression of who, which nations are going to be in control. That's in Daniel chapter 2. Then in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision that shows also these kingdoms in a slightly different context, more of the military aspect in terms of how they take over uh, nations as, as they come to power. And so this is, I mean, I found this, I obviously... I'd like to say I created this, but I don't have that kind of skill. Um, so I found this. Um, and uh, so if you see on the left, here's uh, Daniel chapter 2. This is the, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. The head of gold, uh, chest and arms of silver, uh, body and thighs of brass or bronze, and then the legs of iron. And each of these represent a successive kingdom in history. Here is Daniel's vision. So he has this lion with wings and this bear and then this 
for example, this um, leopard with four heads, which is representative of Greece. And if you know your history, Alexander the Great was this very, he would come in quickly and conquer, and then when he died, what did he do? He split his kingdom among four uh, people, and so that's the four heads, right? And so you get kind of this going on. Now, why is that important? Well, every time one of these new kingdoms came to power, guess what happened? They took ownership or control of Jerusalem or Israel, and so the nation of Israel was impacted by these particular groups. And a lot of them were not very nice groups, okay? Um, so here we have, um, we're going to walk through Jewish persecutions in history, and so we're going to start with ones that are kind of what I would say are, I don't want to use the word biblical, more so they are recorded in, in the Bible. And so we'll look at those. And then we're also going to talk about some things that let's say have occurred since um, biblical times and, and what's happened uh, as we've kind of progressed through history. Okay, so number one, uh, we'll start in 700 BC. So this is um, the kingdom of Nineveh, right? The kingdom of Assyria comes to power. And uh, they're the ones who will just, you know, if they destroy a city, uh, they'll take the leaders and they'll hang them on posts as you enter into the city. I mean, it's just not a nice, a, a nice group. And so they come in, uh, they take pretty much the northern kingdom is destroyed. So these 10 tribes that go to the north, they cease to exist. Uh, and now you have the southern kingdom, which is really this remnant of Israel that remains. Uh, and that happened about 700 BC. Then you have Babylon, which is where we just saw uh, Daniel comes into play. So Babylon comes to power, Nebuchadnezzar, that's about 600 BC. This is where the southern kingdom is taken into captivity. Um, and so what does Babylon do? They basically take all the, the more prominent people from Jerusalem, from Israel. They take them into captivity. They leave some, but then they put their own people in and they intermarry and they try to kind of dominate culturally that way. Uh, and so we're actually in a few slides towards the end, we're going to look at how many Israelites survived through each of these um, times. And I mean, we're talking decimation. And it's, um, as I mentioned, I think last week, it's amazing that the state, of, the nation of Israel actually still exists. And it, it can only be the hand of God creating a remnant or saving a remnant uh, through time. Um, then Cyrus, who Daniel uh, predicts, um, so you got Babylon, Media Persia uh, is this next step here. So you have Cyrus comes to power. And what is Cyrus? What, how, does he, how does he rule? He says, okay, well, I'm going to let everybody go back to where they came from. And I'm going to create some goodwill that way. And as long as they do everything, you know, uh, they're going to be loyal to me because I let them return. And so he allows the Jews to return. But pre persecution doesn't stop. And in fact, um, I don't know that I necessarily agree with this, but a number of sources say that the first recorded incident of anti-Semitism was in the book of Esther. So remember what happens in uh, the book of Esther. So this is in this uh, uh, Persian time period. So this is not Cyrus, but the king at the time is Ahasuerus, or however you say it, okay? And uh, he needs a new wife right, because he didn't, wasn't too nice to his old one, and so he searches out a, for a wife, and he brings, and Esther becomes the wife of the king. Mordecai, her uncle, is there, and, you know, you have the story of Haman, and Haman's this, you know, up, up, high up in the, the government there, and he wants everybody to bow down to him, and what does Mordecai do? He doesn't bow down to him, and so Haman wants to hang him, right, so he builds these gallows, and he plans to hang, and he does this 
uh, because Mordecai won't bow down. And we're going to talk a little bit later about why the Jews have been persecuted. Why is it so easy to pick on them? And part of it is because, and like this story illustrates, he wasn't willing to live in the culture of the time. Okay? Is kind of one of the main issues here. Then you have Greece. So Alexander the Great comes to power. It's about 330 B.C. Um, again, the nation gets split among four generals. Ptolemy takes control of kind of this Israel-Jerusalem area. Not, we don't necessarily know about too much persecution during this time, uh, but this is still in, in biblical time period. Uh, then Rome comes into play. And so Rome comes into power, let's say, about 150 B.C., and um, it's kind of interesting the Jews actually invited Rome to come into their land because they needed help against some other people. And so Rome comes in, they take control, um, and we, I mean, we have, you know, through the Gospels, we see this, you know, let's say this love-hate relationship between the Jews and the Romans. Uh, the Romans. The Jews want the Romans to do certain things, but they also want to be separate, and so there's kind of this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then it comes to, to fruition because in the you know, early time of the um, turn of the, uh, I guess, turn of the millennium here, um, the Jews begin to revolt. And if you know anything about history, the Romans hate revolt. That's one thing they won't allow. And so they basically come in and they destroy Jerusalem. I mean, lay it to ashes. Uh, and we'll talk about how many people died in, in a few slides here. But it's at this time where really the Jews are, I mean, they're just scattered everywhere. And so that's kind of where we end biblical history. Um, but what I found most interesting, and I'll admit my ignorance in this topic, as I studied through this, I had no idea how much persecution actually came from Christians. And when we typically think about persecution coming, you know, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, we expect that. I mean, they were just horrific people. I mean, they would destroy and pillage and kill and murder without thought. But um, so where this starts is, um, so we go a little bit further. Rome, you know, they come to control in like 150 B.C., they're still in control, like, let's say, a thousand years later. I mean, Rome has this really long time where they control the world. And it's interesting, in 380 AD, Theodosius declares Christianity the state religion. Now, if you think back to, um, like, before the temple's destroyed and Jerusalem's laid, laid waste in, in 70 AD, do you remember the name Nero? So Nero burns Rome, and what does he do? He blames the Christians. Uh, they persecuted Christians. They would feed them to lions. They would uh, cover them in tar and light them on fire. I mean, the Romans hated the Christians. So think about the, the change in dynamic that happened just over a couple hundred years to the point where now Christianity has declared the state religion of Rome. And uh, originally, Christian... So if you think even in Bible times, the Romans thought of Christianity as being a sect of the Jews, like that they were together. Well, when Rome declares Christianity the state religion, you, you really have this split. I mean, the Jews and the Christians, you know, post, you know, what happened obviously to Christ, there was actually kind of this time of relative, um, I don't want to say peace, but there wasn't necessarily anything major that was happening back and forth. But at this time, 
the Jews still didn't, still didn't, and still to this day, don't accept Christ as a Messiah. And the Christians wanted to establish and basically succeed themselves from being classified as a Jewish religion, right? So you have this kind of uh, separation that, that comes to play, and a lot of it happens at this time, okay? Now, here's where we get to really the, the, the ongoing persecution and where we really start to see how it, it comes to fruition today. So about 1095 AD, you got this pope, and notice we're, you know, let's say 700 years later, Rome is still in charge, Christianity is still the state religion, you got this, um, you know, melding together of state and religion, right? So the, the state is impacting the religious side just as much, if not more, that the religious side is impacting the state side. And the pope says at this time, um, he says, we need to reclaim the Holy Land because what has happened is the Muslims, the, 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 the religion of Islam has just expanded, I mean, just phenomenally. So they've taken over control of the Holy Land and Pope Urban says, we need to take it back. So they start the Crusades and they send Christian warriors not quite sure that those two things go together in this context, like we would want to hope. So they send these supposedly Christians into the Holy Land to basically take it back. And you have this word, actually my wife, was, she's teaching history this year, she was, actually this word came up in her class uh, this week or the week prior, pogrom, uh, which is an organized massacre of a particular ethnic group. So just because you are a particular ethnic group, you basically get eliminated. And when we think about the Crusades, right, they send the Christians in, and we think, oh, well, yeah, well, they just took out the Muslims. But they basically took out anybody who wasn't Christian, and they were destroying Jews and Jewish communities, and they were just wiping through this whole area and just laying it waste um, to, in the name of Christianity. So we, we see that. This is the one that was most surprising to me, Okay. So before I put the name up here, um, this gentleman wrote a book in 1543 called On the Jews and Their Lies, okay? How many of you have heard of this book before? Yeah, one, I mean, a couple of people, right? I didn't, I wasn't too familiar with it ahead of time, okay? Um, basically, in this book, it talks about how bad the Jews are, that they should be eliminated, um, that... Uh, for years, hundreds of years, the Catholic Church essentially blamed the Jews for the, for the crucifixion of Christ. It's interesting, it wasn't until 1965 that the Catholic Church made this statement that not all Jews can be blamed for Christ's death. 1965, and notice the statement, not all Jews, right? It wasn't like, oh, we were wrong. Uh, it was like, okay, well, maybe not every single Jew did this. Um, so, and this book uh, really marks the transition away from anti-Judaism to anti-Semitism. Um, and the name is Martin Luther. I mean, uh, uh, not, I mean, he did many things well for the Christian faith, um, particularly for Protestants, I guess, um, as a whole. Uh, but this book actually uh, was on the reading shelf of Adolf Hitler. So it had ongoing impacts here. And then you get to uh, broader persecution. Uh, Jews just are blamed for tragedy. So the bubonic plague in the 14th century, 
Um, well, you think about it. It's inter- the, the Jewish uh, people, wherever the plague was hitting, the Jewish people were impacted less than any other people, people group. And does anyone have any idea why that would happen? Well, they have these purity rituals, and they would actually wash their hands, right? Um, so amazing, right? Uh, and so they do these things that would keep them from actually getting sick like the broad population. Well, the people around them didn't understand that at the time, so they essentially, they would start blaming them for the plagues. They said, well, you're not getting sick, so you must be causing it. Uh, and uh, in um, Germany and Austria at this time, they actually burned 100,000 Jews alive. Um, they even, there's lots of writings that accused the Jews of using the blood of Christian boys to make their matzah that they ate. And that's how they kept safe. I mean, so they just make things up. Um, and the Jewish people are just continually uh, persecuted and targeted. Then it becomes a political issue. So um, even though, you know, during this time period, political equality and freedom begin to spread, anti-Semitism still exists. Uh, I mean, we know of apartheid, which we typically think about, say, for example, in South Africa, uh, where the whites, uh, uh, you know, just suppress the black population. But apartheid was actually applied to the Jews as well. And so they were treated just as this minority uh, inferior group also. Uh, this was used in political elections, this guy named Karl Luger in Austria. And where was Hitler from? He was from Austria. And he was impacted by these groups. And it kind of culminates in what we know today, which is Hitler and Nazi Germany, where six million Jews are essentially exterminated, um, simply because they were Jews. So, I mean, that is um, like just a, a, a a really high-level view of the persecution that the Jews have endured. Now, you may say, oh, well, they broke the covenant, so this is what they deserve. Well, I mean, uh, to be honest, I mean, no one deserves this. Um, is it part of God's plan to bring them back to him? Everything's, I mean, we like, I always hate when people, oh, well, that's God's will. I mean, God's will is that no one should perish, but that all comes to repentance. Um, God's will is that we do not sin. God's will, right? Um, does God use everything for his plan? Yes. Um, it's just amazing to see the impact. Now, notice, uh, we're going to summarize, and I, like I said last week, this one's going to be a little bit shorter, and I knew that would work out well with the business meeting anyways. Um, but why does anti-Semitism even exist? Um, well, we know we could say, well, it's part of you know, the persecution that was promised, and, and that's true, but if you think about more from a practical perspective, the, I came across kind of this list that said, hey, uh, they, they refused to integrate into society. They always wanted to stay separated, which to some extent has, is good, but they had these separation laws. They would not sit down and eat with other people, so they had these dietary restrictions. Um, they didn't share meals, and they had these dress standards which made them easy to identify. So they basically set themselves apart, and they made it... They were easy targets. Not that that was right in any way, but they, they were easy to identify and they became easy to blame. And that's what happened. Um, now, if you look at Jewish population over time, so at the time of the Exodus, you're talking, let's say, two to three million people. Then you have uh, David's census, so like, let's say, the height of, of 
you know, his biblical time periods, five million people. Then you have Assyria destroys the northern kingdom, Babylon takes, you know, the, all the people, uh, the exiles, and when the Babylon captivity ends, there, it's estimated, again, these are all estimates, uh, it's estimated there's only 45,000 Jews at the time. Then you have uh, Rome takes Jerusalem. So the population grows, as the population of every group does over time. Um, and this number, is the, of all these numbers, this is the one that I'm least certain about. Um, because at the time that Rome actually uh, took Jerusalem and destroyed it, they basically came around the time of Passover, which is when Jerusalem would be most full of people. And uh, uh, they essentially... Jerusalem kind of shut itself up, the Romans laid siege to it, wouldn't let anything in and out, and the people basically starved to death. I mean, there's stories of people killing their children and eating them and killing other people and eating them. Uh, it's been estimated that, I actually have a number here, they estimate that roughly, where'd it go? Sorry. Uh, roughly 97,000 people actually remained after the Romans finally came in, and roughly 1.1 million people died. Um, so you're talking, you know, and, and so whether, you know, some, obviously all the Jewish population would not have been inside Jerusalem at the time, uh, but that's really when the scattering occurs. Um, then you, you know, you get um, some stability in the 1700s. In, in 1939, it hits a historical peak of 17 million, uh, let's say, recognized Jewish people. And then what happens? You have the Holocaust, so we're dropped 6 million, as we mentioned earlier, to 1945. Then in 1970s, you have 13 million people, and then 2022, roughly 15 million. Roughly, worldwide, roughly 15 million Jews. I mean, to, to think about this, how much do we hear about the nation of Israel? All the time. How much focus does the world put on the nation of Israel? We're talking 15 million people. To put that in context, that is not 2%, 0.2% of the world population. Uh, and to even give you a little bit more, like to put this in perspective, there is 8.5 million people in the city of New York, New York City, and 19 million, I tried to find the state that was maybe the closest in population. The state of New York total has 19 million people. So like there's less, there's fewer Jews in the world than there are people in the state of New York. Yet, they are the focal point of a lot of human history and a lot of things that are to come. And it can only be that they have a purpose, right? And it's Satan trying to destroy what God has set apart for himself. Um, and so we see that happening. Um, now this is really, this next slide is kind of to, to set the stage for what we're going to talk about the next couple weeks, which is how we've gotten to where we are today. Uh, oh, actually not, sorry. I was ahead of myself. I have two more slides, sorry. Um, don't get too excited. Two more slides. Um, so this is Jewish population today. So today they're roughly, so if, if you added all these up plus all the the ones that are below here with, with smaller populations, that's where you're going to get to that 15 million population that we just mentioned. Uh, roughly 6.6 plus million of those are actually in the state of Israel. Uh, but notice this, 5.7 million in the United States. Um, 
And again, you've probably heard over time, well, the Lord has blessed the United States because of our stance on Israel. And I, to some extent, I think that's, you know, there might be an element of truth to that. Uh, but what we do know is the United States has been and continues to be a friend of Israel. And we see that in the population numbers here. Uh, and then you have some European nations and, and so on. Uh, it's interesting, there's still Jewish people in Germany. Uh, but notice this. These are population numbers today. This is right before 1948. What happened in 1948? The nation of Israel is recognized again. They repopulate. They begin to take control of the land. But notice this. Prior to 1948, not a whole lot of people there. <laughs> um, was a lot of big population in the United States. This is pretty much where... Oh, my, my circles got... Uh, moved a little bit. Um, so let me put... So there were roughly 2.5 million people, Jewish people in Germany at the time, and there were a lot of people in Russia, Jews. That's where most of the repopulation of Israel came from, is out of Germany and Russia and some other areas. Uh, the United States, again, we had people leave the U.S. and go to Israel, but not a large proportion, and, and the population in the U.S. continues to grow. Um, so the bulk of the Israeli population, or the Jewish population, lives in Israel and the United States today with some other smaller pockets uh, globally. Okay, so here's a slide. Here's a Jewish-Muslim comparison. 15 million Jews. How many Muslims in the world? A lot more than 15 million. Okay. 1.9 billion. Okay. Here's a map. Okay. The red is Arab Muslims. This, yellow, is Israel. Okay. So I always find it very interesting that Israel is claimed to be the occupier. Um, and it's even more interesting because, uh, we'll talk about this over the next few weeks, this little area, before Israel really came back and took control of it, was virtually uninhabited. I mean, it was a desolate area. No one wanted to live there. It's kind of like a kid who doesn't want to play with a toy until his brother has playing with the toy. Israel comes in, they repopulate the land, they build it up, they make it better, and now all of a sudden they want it, is pretty much the way I would describe it, in simple, simplistic terms. Um, and it's interesting the, if these nations would simply take some of the refugees, there would be no refugee crisis. But these groups are unwilling to do so because they want it to remain the way it is. They want the focus to be negative on Israel. And that's how it's getting played out. Um, so we'll continue to look at this. And again, uh, not so, obviously today was not as much, let's say, biblical in nature but I think it's important to understand how, you know, what has happened over time, uh, how we've gotten to this point. Um, and uh, so next week is, is Mike's title. The week after that, like I said, we'll spend two weeks. So the first week, uh, we're going to look historical at what has happened to Israel. And, and to do so, we're going to focus on Jerusalem. So we're actually going to look at a timeline of who controlled Jerusalem over the past 4,000 years. And we're going to see who comes into control, what happens, what was driving it. Um, so a lot of that, you know, some of that might overlap to what we talked about today. And the first day will be like three, 
1,800 years of history, okay, kind of really squashed down, and then the next day will be like the last 100 years, 200 years of history. You see really what's happened in the region uh, and, you know, what's, what's going on there. So um, let me go ahead and I'll close in prayer, at least the, the, the message part here, and then I'll have Pastor come back up and, and we'll get into the, the business meeting. So, well, actually, let me know. I'm very nervous to do this, okay? I might not have, does anyone have any questions? Uh, okay, too many. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like those better, so go ahead. Yes, and a lot of that just gets back. There's a, I've heard some statements that basically said if, um, if Israel stopped fighting today, they would cease to exist. If the Hamas or Muslims stopped fighting today, there would be peace. You can ask your white husband. He's a pastor. But, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, this, that would be speculation, so I'll be very clear. My answer is all speculative in nature. My answer would be it's the same as the Catholic Church today. You would have some people who are true believers and some people who are not. Um, and I think that's true through history because it's of the way that the doctrine of the Catholic Church is taught. I just, I think, it's like saying, is everyone in our church saved? I hope so, but... Probably not. Is everyone in the Catholic Church not saved? I don't think that would be a valid statement. I don't know. Any additional thoughts on that? Good one. Thumbs up. Okay. Um, do I see another hand? Okay. Well, if we have time at some of these, we'll take some more questions. Like I said, um, you know, I am not an expert in this. I have done some study and, uh, you know, uh, I've learned a lot of stuff in doing so, but I by no means know. Uh, everything that needs to be known about this. So we'll, we'll learn together, okay? Okay, let me pray, and then I'll have Pastor come up. Dear Father, we thank for this time. Uh, Lord, uh, more than anything else, we thank you that you are a God who keeps his promises, uh, that you are a God who has kept a remnant, and that you are a God who has a purpose and plan not only for the Jews, but for us as well, and that uh, we will see uh, your kingdom and power come to fruition, and that you have a place for us, and we, we find it hard to believe that you would... Um, Lord, you are self-existent and self-sufficient. You don't need us, yet you love us. And it's uh, just amazing to see that play out. We thank you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.